Will you join me in reading the powerful and good word of the Lord? In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she greeted the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for that joy. And blessed is she believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Four hundred and thirty times the Bible talks about joy. Okay, approximately four hundred and thirty times. But you get the point. It's a major part of what our faith life is supposed to be all about. In Hebrew, the word is simcha. At least that's my Oki pronunciation of it. I want to say it and you say it back to me. Simcha. Right? I want you to be able to say joy in the language Jesus would have said it in, in the language he would have been taught by his mother and father. Simcha. Joy. And the concept for Jews was that joy was something to be pursued. It was something you, you made a journey towards. It was a destination you were seeking on a spiritual journey. And when asked why that was so important the rabbis would say, because joyful people serve God better. And after 40 years as a pastor, I think that's very true. People who are joyful serve God better. Uh, The New Testament also talks about joy a lot. In the New Testament, the word is pronounced hera. You can say that if you want, hera. Right, again, okay pronunciation of that, but that's okay. And it, it shares a root with another word that we're very familiar with, a root word, for the word grace that that is translated as grace in the New Testament. So in the New Testament, the concept of joy and grace are interwoven throughout the entire uh, story of Jesus' life and the following epistles and instructions that are written afterward about Jesus and how to follow Jesus. That concept that, that, that joy leads to grace and the experience of grace leads to joy. It's just at the heart of what it means to be a person of faith. And yet sometimes it's very hard to find, isn't it? It's very hard to to experience joy. We struggle sometimes to keep joy centered in our lives. This time of year, things get crazy. I don't know if you have any perfectionists in your family. My wife married one. So it's, it's a little tough at our house trying to get everything just right. But yesterday I gave in. I broke down. I found my joy leaving me. So I paid seven bucks to have somebody deliver stuff from Walmart. So I didn't have to go in there. Didn't have to get in the parking lot. Didn't have to get in line. It was worth every penny of it, right? I mean, it was, it was a great moment when a little thing came on the text. Your items have arrived. I was so happy, right? Because we get lost in the busyness and the doing of it all. And it's easy for us to lose our joy. And then sometimes life just presents things in a way that, that it's just hard. It's just hard. Years ago, when I was a little toddler, my brother was a little toddler, and we were growing up in southeast Oklahoma City, 
A few days after Christmas, my brother died of a terrible disease. So I grew up in a home where a child had died at, at three years old. And you would, think, you would think that that would have been a very sad home. And my parents experienced deep grief because of, it, of what happened. But actually, my parents' home was a house of joy. And some, some people here know my mom, know that she's a very joyful person. My parents were intentional about claiming joy, even in the midst of hardship. And the thing that, that my parents passed on to me that, that I hope in some small way Prudy and I passed on to our children and grandchildren is, is the, this idea of being intentional about joy, of recognizing, as the ancient Hebrew people did, as Jesus would have been taught as a child, that it's a journey. You don't get there all at once. But you take the steps you need to take to get home and be home in joy and have that present in your life. And my parents taught me that even in the midst of incredible grief and hardship, joy is still there. And we experience that in our family because of the love and the care of the church. Because um, there were days when, when, when we couldn't feel joy. And the people around us were joyful for us. And that's the power of the church. There are days we don't have faith. The people around us can carry us and have faith for us. There are days when we can't feel anything at all. And the people around us and our church family can, can feel for us and get us through to that time and help us take the next steps on that journey to reclaiming and coming home to joy. So when I was a young pastor, I was, was working with a group of young couples. And this, this group, were, they were made up of couples who wanted to have children but had been unable to have children. And I thought, what a great ministry for the church. We can, we can bring these folks together. We can pray together. We can infer, affirm and encourage one another. And I even brought in a couple of older couples, slightly older, they'd want me to say, slightly older couples who came as shepherds for the group, couples who had been down the road themselves, who had struggled with infertility issues. And we were coming together, and we were meeting, and I got to be honest, the guys were just kind of showing up to be good sports. I got to be honest. But the women were doing deep soul work. These younger women and these slightly older women working on, on issues of the heart and the soul and the spirit and faith. Then how do you have faith in that situation where you long to have a family and it doesn't seem to be happening? And it seemed to me that, that we had come across something really rather special and brilliant as we were caring and loving one another. But there was another dynamic at work, which is a, as a young inexperienced pastor, I didn't quite recognize the church was going through a transition. It was an old, old, white, oldest Protestant church in Texas. And the neighborhood was changing. And the church was changing. It had been a, a, an established white congregation where people were, were members of the church, four, five, six generations. They could trace their, their history back in the congregation. The streets around the church were named after people who had been members of the church. It's that kind of an institution. But now the neighborhood had changed. It was being filled with eight young Asian families and young Islander families. And they were coming to our church. A lot of the folks who grew up in places like the Philippines have a deep Methodist background. And so they saw Methodist church and they poured in. And just like everybody else, they had these same issues. So we were all together in this group. And I had one couple that was struggling with it all. Their name, would, they were John and Velma. They'd grown up in the church, young white couple, 
They had met in the youth group. They had fallen in love. They had been in the church since they were both in the cradle. And, and now the church was changing. For seven years, they had tried to have a baby and had been unable to do so. And one night in sheer frustration as the group broke up and, and, and even with some of the Asian families still inside the room, Velma turned to me and she pointed at them and she said, how come those people can have all the children in the world, but we don't have a baby? Sometimes your, your hurt and your grief will, will cause you to think and do things that are very, very awful, right? Sometimes, sometimes we're so hurt and so broken that joy just seems impossible. And we even resent joy in other people. We were in the group one night, we were doing a guided prayer study in which we were thinking about Jesus at the pool of Bethesda where Jesus healed and people coming into the water to be with Jesus to be healed. And, and the couples were invited to imagine that they were, they were entering the water and, and Jesus was reaching out to them. And Velma began to cry, she began to weep. And whenever she calmed down a little bit, she shared with the group, she said, I imagined that I was in the pool of Bethesda and Jesus had his back to me and I could tell he had a baby for me. And I was so excited. And when he turned around, the baby was not white. And I turned and left and rejected Jesus and that child. Now there were, there were non-white couples there in the room. And it got really, really quiet. And as a pastor, I had no idea what to say. And there was this wonderful Filipino lady. She was a nurse. Her husband was a doctor. They had moved to the Philippines and were part of our church. And her name was Joy. And she and her husband had not been able to have children, but they had adopted. So they were there as shepherds for the group and helped families that would eventually decide to adopt. And Joy took Velma's hands and held them very tightly. And she said, Velma, I just want you to, to know that I'm going to be with you through this whole journey. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to pray for you every single day. You can call me. I want you to come to my house and we're going to be in prayer and, and we're going to get through this together because we're the church and we're a family. And I thought, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen until Velma slapped Joy's hands away and looked at me and said, get her away from me. I don't ever want to see her again. Out of our brokenness and pain, sometimes we miss incredible opportunities. Because we're hurting and, and, and we're disappointed and we're broken. And because we don't believe that we're good enough or, or, or that, that God loves us enough. Or somehow we've done something wrong along the way. We just slap away the opportunity for joy and for healing. Today's scripture story is about that. There's a, a, a carving at the New York Metropolitan Museum of Art. It's, it's right by where my oldest granddaughter lives. And, and you go in there and you see this carving. And it's, it's from the 1300s. We don't know the carver's name. We just know he was a master carver. And, and it's a carving of today's story. When Mary travels to meet her relative Elizabeth and talk about these miraculous babies they're both about to have. Elizabeth is going to have a baby. John the Baptist, right? I don't want to ruin the end of the story for you, but and there it is. And Mary's going to have Jesus, and they're going to come together and talk about that in today's text. And so this carver did this wonderful carving, uh, and it's beautiful, and it's, it's, it's lasted the painting and everything from the 1300s. And when you get really close up to it, you can see that, that there in the middle 
What the carver did is he put in these transparent stones in the areas where the babies would be. And it's his way of witnessing to us and saying to us, look at the amazing thing that God is doing. Where there seems to be brokenness and hurt and disappointment and sadness, God is doing something that is joyful. We'll call the whole world to rejoice because as these two characters come together, that's what they do. They rejoice. The Bible tells us that, that Mary heard from the angel that she was going to have the baby Jesus. Unless she, she had doubt so that she would be encouraged, the angel said, look at your kinswoman, look at your relative, Elizabeth, who is old in age, but, but is going to have a baby. And you may remember the, the first of Luke's gospel is he starts this whole Christmas story thing. There, there's Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, and they're very special people. Elizabeth is descended from the most holy lineage among the Jews still today. Through, from, she's directly descended from Aaron, the original high priest, Moses' brother. And she marries a guy, Zechariah, who's descended from the priests, the original priestly order that stood by Moses' side. And the scripture tells us they're righteous. And their lineage in the tradition of Jews at that time in particular matters a lot. These are very special people. They would have had a very special place in society and culture. Traditionally, it says that, that they lived in Ancaran, which, which would have been a suburb of Jerusalem at the time. Now Jerusalem's grown up all around it. If you go there today, it's the most beautiful place, people will tell you, maybe in the Middle East. It is absolutely gorgeous. Flowers everywhere. And it would have been that way in Jesus' time, which was been quite unusual in that arid land. And, and it was where very special people lived. It was up in the hills. There were trees there in a land which at that time didn't have many trees. It was cool. It was beautiful. There were flowers and plants everywhere. But most important of all, when you walked out on your porch people who lived there would have a view of the temple, which is the single most important thing in a Jewish person's life in Jesus' day. Uh, today you go, and, and we hope to take you in a couple of years, or maybe less than that, we're going to go, and, and we hope to take you there. And you'll go and you'll see the foundations of the temple. You see the famous Western Wall where people pray. But in Elizabeth and Mary's day, the whole temple stood there in its magnificence, its gorgeous uh, beauty and power. I promise if you go and you go down there and you go to that foundation and you lay your hands on that foundation, you'll feel something spiritually moving. I mean, it's incredible. And Elizabeth was, was one of the select people, she and her husband, who lived overlooking the temple. And she has this poor relation, Mary, who lives about 90 miles away in a forgotten little backwater called Nazareth. So unimportant that no Jewish historian or writer in the age in which Mary lived ever wrote about it, ever mentioned it. And Mary finds out that she's pregnant in this miraculous way. And she decides to make that journey where she goes all the way from Nazareth down to Ancaran. And it's a journey of about 90 miles. So if you can imagine that, you can sort of see it here on the map. She would have gone this, this kind of wide-ranging way to avoid the Samaritans, of course. You don't want to cross tracks with them. 
So she would have made this journey, this young girl. We don't know if she went with, a, with Joseph or her father or we don't know. And it was a treacherous route known for, for thieves and robbers and gangs and things operating all along there. And she would have probably walked. Imagine walking from, from downtown Tulsa to downtown Oklahoma City. And you're maybe 14 years old. And you're carrying a deep spiritual burden and you're pregnant. That's what she does. And she comes to traditionally the site and Karen. And she goes there to, to Elizabeth and Zechariah's house. But, but there's a fountain there called Mary's Fountain, which, which people by tradition say is where they first met. And it's there in that beautiful city and Karen. And then there's this fountain. And in the fountain, people still today, they go there and they strip their children naked and dip them in the water because they think it has just incredible spiritual power for children because that's where Mary went when she was pregnant with Jesus. And that's where Elizabeth was when she was pregnant with John the Baptist. So that's the tradition. What scripture tells us is that they came together. And in, in a very, very, very unusual scene in the Bible, this doesn't happen a lot in the Bible, there's this scene where two women are talking, no men are involved. It's just two women together doing heart-to-heart, spiritual, deep spiritual work together. They both had this miraculous experience. Elizabeth, who had prayed for decades for a child, now finds out she's pregnant. She's going to give birth to John the Baptist. And, and, And as a total affirmation of her and this experience, she gets to see Mary her, her relative, this young virgin who's going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And for Mary, in her part, she gets, the, she, she gets the affirmation that was passed on to her by the angel. She gets to come and see Elizabeth and see the miracle in Elizabeth's life that's happening and be assured that the miracle that the angel has promised will happen in her life as well. And it's this transcendent, incredible moment. And they come together and and they have this wonderful, joyful meeting. In fact, Elizabeth says to Mary, the moment you walked in and said hello, Oki translation, the minute you walked in and said hello, the baby inside of me leaped with joy. That's the center point of it all. Unless we we miss it, Luke is very careful in how he tells the story. He uses joy here in all its forms. Earlier, when when Zachariah is in the temple and the angel comes and says, you're going to be a dad even though you're an old guy. Please, angels, avoid me this Christmas, right? But good for Zachariah, right? He comes and says, you're going to be a daddy even though you're an old guy. And you're going to be filled with joy and the world is going to be filled with joy. Future, looking at the future. Now in this moment, when Elizabeth and Mary meet, it's present tense. Joy is here now. And a few verses later, Mary is going to do something very special and, and, and the joy is going to be something I've experienced. So it's, it's something to look forward to. It's something to know now. It's something to know and hold on to for the future. Because you remember what Mary does. Remember now, now, remember that she's named after Miriam, Moses' sister. Very important to know that. And, and if you remember Miriam's story, 
She's there as a slave in Egypt with Moses and Aaron and the other Hebrew children. And they're finally delivered out of slavery. And, And they cross the Red River and they escape Pharaoh's army. And they're saved just in time. I love the text. When they're standing there with their backs against the water before the water parts and and they don't know what to do, there's this wonderful thing that God says to Moses. Tell the people just to be still. Just be still. Just be still. There are times in order to, to experience God's joy completely, we need to let go of control. We need to let go of trying to manage everything. We need to let go of our agenda and just be still. Just be still. And then you remember God parts the water. They get through on the other side. They're saved. And Miriam, who Mary's named for, gathers all the Jewish women together, and they start to sing praise and rejoice. They sing this song of joy. And so now Mary, who's named after Miriam, she has this moment where she sees that the angel's promise is fulfilled, that out of this dark and broken world, which is run by Herods and Caesars and people like that, that God is doing this amazing thing. That God is offering joy, the opportunity to know it and claim it. And it comes in a journey. That's why we light a candle every week. We're making that journey just like Mary did from Nazareth to Ancaran. It comes in a journey. And Mary begins to sing. To sing about joy. And C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He puts it so powerfully. He, He talks about this incredible thing. He says, the whole thing narrows and narrows and narrows until at last it comes down to a little point as small as the point of a spear. A Jewish girl at her prayers. Sometimes before we experience the deepest joy, we just have to be still and be quiet and be in our prayers and let God work. Mary is not regarded because of what she's accomplished in life. Right? If you remember her song, Mary is not favored for her accomplishments. Mary is favored for her lowliness. Boy, that's a relief to me. Right now, I need to hear that. It's not about, it's not about getting the perfect present or getting the decorations up just right or planning the perfect meal or getting the house perfectly clean. It's not about any of those things. I may be in trouble with some of you for saying that, but it's true. Right? Say that with me. Mary is not favored for her accomplishments. Mary is favored for her lowliness. And that's true for us too. That's true for us. There are places where God wants to pour into our life and bring joy. We have to be still and be quiet and be in prayer and allow that to happen in our lives again. Nadia Bowles-Weber, I've gotten to know her. She's a, she's a minister, a preacher, and we're very different. We have a very different style. She used this language that I could use one time in this worship service, and then Pastor Mark would have to call the bishop and have a conversation. But she works with a tough street crowd sometimes, and she's powerful in the way she connects with them. She says things that that always challenge me, make me uncomfortable, and move me from my comfortable place to a place of discomfort, which is where change comes. And, And she says this, which is so wonderful. It's from a piece she wrote called Fall on Your Knees about the Christmas story. Remember the song, Oh, Fall on Your Knees, right? And then what do I do but consistently curse my own lowliness? 
I obsess about my flaws and shortcomings. I berate myself for my failings and the defects of, and defects of character, for not trying hard enough to be my ideal self. Yeah, right. That is so true, isn't it? And what else? He says something else. He says this. But our failings and weaknesses are God's perfect entry points. It is our lowliness and our humility, not our strength, and not our called virtues, where God does God's very best work. I really, I think that's so powerful. But our failings and weaknesses are God's perfect entry points. That doesn't mean that God causes us hurt or pain in order in our life. It just means that God recognizes those places where we're broken and pours out Jesus Christ incarnate, born as a baby in those places. It is our lowliness and our humility, not our strength, not our so-called virtues, where God does God's very best work. There are places in my life where I can't fix things. There are places in my life where I don't have whatever it takes to make things right. My dear pastor friend, Dr. David Thomas, used to say, give God that much space to work and God will fill it with joy. Give God that much space to work and God will fill it with joy. We have to be willing to make the journey. We have to stay on the journey even when it's hard to go home and to come home to joy. We have to keep taking step, putting one foot in front of the other, even when it's tough. That night when, when Velma pushed Joy's hands away and said, Pastor, get her away from me, she broke down and cried. And when she was all cried out, surrounded by her brothers and sisters in the church, she said, I can't go on doing it this way. Something's got to change. Something's got to change. The next day she went to Joy's house. And they sat at Joy's kitchen table and they prayed. They didn't pray for a child. They didn't pray for anything like that. They just prayed that God would lead Velma to joy. And those two women met every week and they had hundreds of phone calls for seven months just praying for that. And then one Sunday, John and Velma came to the front of the church and we baptized their newly adopted daughter, a little Filipino girl, the joy it helped them connect with, and join her husband or the godparents. Come home to joy. It's a journey. It's something we have to claim, be intentional about. And your action step this week is simply to take the next step in that journey, whatever it is for you. The next step to joy, to receiving it and to sharing it. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.